This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Tom Butler. And I'm Brendan Duffy. You're listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us on this journey of discovery across the world of the 007 movies as we take an encyclopedic look at cinema's greatest spy films. We'll learn about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind, from Ken Adam to Max Zorin, with the occasional detour down a few rabbit holes. And we'll sometimes be joined by guests with unique insight into the world of Bond. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the James Bond brand, E.ON, or the Fleming Estate. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we do get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something, or add some more detail, email us on podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. Thanks for listening, we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the James Bond A to Z podcast where we're saying we've been expecting you to another special guest. My name is Tom Butler and joining me is a man who's when he's got a job to do, he's got to do it well. It's Mr. Brendan Duffy. Hello. <laughs> and our special and our very special guest is writer John Higgs, whose new book, Love and Let Die, Bond, the Beatles and the British Psyche, examines the links between James Bond and the Fab Four, who both made their movie and music debuts on the same day, 60 years ago. Um, so Love and Let Die tells the story of a clash between the working class and the establishment and how both became global phenomenons. Told over a period of 60 years, this book looks over the connection they both have to the Britain throughout the decades. It's a new angle that would change how you see the Beatles, Bond and British culture. Welcome, John. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Um, we were talking before you came on. You've, you've come on and spoken um, about your book on a lot of different podcasts but mainly Beatles podcasts that's been the main angle yeah as I was saying earlier when the book was announced it seemed that like I was invited onto pretty much every Beatles podcast there is uh, and none of the Bond ones and I was a little bit sort of you know oh, I really want to just just talk about Bond <laughs> for, for, for a period of time so uh, thank you so much for inviting me onto this one well, I mean, you're with you're in good company here. Both Brendan and I are big fans of the Beatles and and of Bond, of course. Um, so I remember when we when I saw the book being announced, I think we shared sort of uh, hurried text messages between each other. Um, very excited to to, to read the book. Um, yeah, the, the amount of messages I got was, this book was written for me, wasn't it? It was, <laughs> it was very pleasing. So, um, Brendan, do you want to kick things off? Yeah, I suppose we better start right from the beginning on, you know, what what inspired you to write the book? Well, it was like, it was the excuse of the uh, coincidence of the the date mm. was really what set me off in that um I was I was on the Doctor No wiki page as, you know, as as you are, uh, and I just noticed the date it came out, 5th of October 1962, and you know, I'm sufficiently nerdy in the Beatles to look at that date and think no, that can't be right. That can't be right. Surely that's not that's because I wasn't aware of that. And once I had the two of them, um, uh, Bond and Beatles records, Bond films anyway, coming out on the same day, and I just, I just thought about it. The moment you put the two of them next to each other, all sorts of stuff just sort of pours out, and it's like, you know, you're very familiar with Bond films. You're very familiar with Beatles records. It's just but putting them together, you suddenly see them. Uh, you see see them in a different perspective, really. Uh, they're, they're framed differently when you put them next to each other. Uh, and the more I started to think about the, the two of them together, 
just the more interesting it became to me. And a lot of it is stuff like um, things about class and masculinity and uh, changing British culture over 60 years and all these sort of things. Um, but it's, it was also like an excuse just to sort of geek out on Bond and the Beatles. You could really just sort of, you know, drill down in, in, into, into both of those and, and, and tell their stories again um, in a way that made, you know, the stuff about, as I say, class or um, uh, reactions to women and all these sort of things, um, not quite so heavy, not quite, not quite such a sort of a serious sort of thing. You know, if you've got a few good car chases in there, it's, it, beca- it becomes a bit more interesting. And when you talk about the Beatles uh, uh, on the 5th of October, you're talking about the release of their first single yeah. or their first proper single, right? Yes, absolutely. Love Me Do yeah. uh, was, was released on the same day as, as Dr. No. Uh, and you can just feel the sort of the, the modern Britain sort of appearing in, in that sort of, you know, that cold October afternoon um, because it, it was it was that... The timing was was everything really. It was after um, Suez, after the Suez Canal crisis in the nineteen fifties, uh, which was really the, the the point when even the people who were the most hardened defenders of the idea of the British Empire and, and understood uh, Britain as as a major you know uh, geopolitical power, that was the point that even they had to sort of say, yeah, that's that's over now, isn't it? That we're not that anymore. That's when it came crushing home. And so there's a sense of well, if we're not that, you know, who are we? Um, and we needed a sort of a new sense of ourselves and we needed, you know, a new story. And we needed something modern. It had to be sort of new and it had to be modern. Uh, and you could see why we sort of, you know, grabbed, you know, the Bond films and the, and the Beatles themselves with both hands because they, they were both offering us new and very different visions of, of what modern uh, could be. Um, uh, the, the fact that the entire world also went, hey, these things are great, and the entire world sort of leapt on them, and they became these extraordinary sort of global phenomena that don't um, that, that don't really make any sense. This is the thing. The more I, I, I thought about it, the more implausible the whole thing is. Like, if you look at you know the Bond films, the idea that uh, you could you know create an action hero and then go on to make another 25 films about him over a period of 60 years, all of which are successful, all of which makes makes money. It's utterly impossible, right? It just can't, you can't do it. There's Every filmmaker would be doing it if it was a thing it was possible to do, but it's not. Um, and and the, the notion that Bond is just another film hero, like Indiana Jones or, or whatever, sort of falls away at that point. It, it's, it's, it's something unique. It's something different. Um, and, it's very, and, it's, and it's fascinating to try and work out why that is. You know, and in, in a similar way, there's no way a band could form now and do what the Beatles did. You know, that's just, mm. that's just absurd. The further we sort of get away from them, the more perspective we have on them. And the, and the, and the more perspective we have on them, the more we realise... Um, that they're not because 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 they're so familiar to us, you know. They we grow up; they're just part of our lives, they're part of our families. It's almost domestic. They're always there, you know. It's a bank holiday Monday, you know. Goldfinger's on the TV, you know. That's it's just it's just background. Um, it's when you start to sort of get the perspective of how unusual that is, you know, and how unlike anything else. I think they become more interesting and more fascinating. Um, and you know, the more I've thought about them for the course of this book, the more I wanted to think about them. It's, it's not. It's certainly not a case where it's, on some books you've got a subject, and uh, at the end of it, you, you're quite glad to have finished. You don't really have to think about it any, anymore. But you know, I, the, the the notion of what the next Bond is going to be like is taking up far too much time in my head these days. It's it's I stuff you know. I'm, I, maybe we're all the same, but it's 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 a fascinating sort of subject of which way they should go and, and why it's taking so long, and, and questions like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it, anything that we we've learned, John, since starting this podcast, is that the more that we learn about Bond, the less we realise we actually know. Um, yeah, and yeah. so it's just it's it's an it's an ongoing journey, um, um, and an obsession I think that a lot of people have. Um, well, but... he's, he's so he's so different to other 
you know, classic heroes in, in that, um, you know, you look at like Lancelot or, or Robin Hood. They're, they're kind of, they're just the good guy. You know, they're, they're, they're not two-dimensional, but there's, there's, you know how they're going to react in all circumstances. What fast, what's fascinating about Bond, especially the way that Bond has changed over the years, is that this sort of struggle between the, the light and dark in him you know he's, he's he's a hero he saves people he saves the world he, he's brave he puts his life at risk he, it's got all these you know very positive sort of qualities but it's sort of inseparable from you know what everything that people complain about the you know the misogynistic dinosaur as judy dench sort of described all those sort of um side to him you can't quite separate them because they're very very linked you know, you can't have him just falling in love and having a family and living happily ever after and being an emotional, mature, mature adult sort of thing, whilst he's prepared to risk his life in the in the way that he does. Um, he's, he's, he's a mass of contradictions. And those contradictions really keep shifting and changing over the decades, because I do think he's a very long way from uh, certainly the Captain the Fleming books, but, you know, by now. Um He's, he's always um, what men t- sort of want to be at that point in time, which is a shifting and changing thing. There's something about the way the films, you're watching them and they're sort of going, you, you, you'd like to be James Bond, wouldn't you? Yeah, they're, they're, sort of, they're sort of enticing you. Imagine living this life. Your life's fine, but your life could be like this. You could be that casual with clothes. You could know these things. You could do all these sort of things. It's very, very sort of seductive and, and appealing. And in a way that, you know, no one fantasies, fantasizes about being Jason Bourne. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just a completely separate thing. There's, there's qualities to, the, to, to Bond that um, are utterly unique, I think. Yeah, that's probably what makes it difficult where they go next, isn't it? Because it's not just yeah, but I mean, there, there is always you know an ideal fantasy of who we want to be, um, and, and it's not who we should be, it's not who we need to be, it's who we want to be, and yet holding up that sort of fantasy and sort of playing with it and exploring it um, is, I think, ultimately a healthy thing. Because by putting it into the light of, you know, everyone's attention, you can see what's wrong about it and the flaws in, in it. And uh, for instance, I, I keep thinking of, um, you know, a lot of the Roger Moore things, the chauvinism in there, like the lady driver's comments and, and things like that, which at the time, you know, all the men on the crew, which I thought were hilarious, but we've sort of, you know, moved a long way away from that. And we certainly wouldn't, I don't think anyone would uh, be pleased to see that sort of thing sort of, sort of coming back. Um, so by, by sort of exploring these things, it, it is a positive thing. I think the, 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 um, the, the way that, um, Daniel Craig has moved it such a, such a distance that, um, I think it was, yes, it was the daily mail when they were talking about no time to die, like the word woke wasn't enough for them. So they, they coined the phrase super woke, <laughs> super woke just to describe no time to die. Which I thought was which I thought was hilarious. Uh, taking it back to the central conceit of the book, John, uh, we talked about the Beatles and the Bond and Bond coming out at the same time, um, and sort of def- redefining what what it means to be British in a way, um, but in very different ways. But I thought something that um, uh, is interesting to note is how they uh, through Bond through being a, an American production. Um, and then the Beatles bringing rock and roll via Hamburg, uh, you know, an American sound via Europe is it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a sense of, it's an identity of Britain that has extra facets because of these internet international dimensions. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I don't think it could be any other way, really. I mean, we are in, uh, an internet connected modern world and, you know, the influence of certainly America and, and you know, perhaps Germany and Europe and stuff is going to have its sort of say. But they still, um, the heart of them does feel quite British and that the heart of it is um, is what I think appeals to people around the world. Although, you know, the, the, the importance of America in, in music and in films and stuff um, uh, is, is undeniable. 
Um, what has come out of it um, is is uh, has sort of framed the British entertainment world to a huge degree. I mean, the, the modern British film industry is basically an offshoot of the um, skills of the the Bond franchise, really. I mean, when you, you look at um, when George Lucas came over here in 1976 to, to film Star Wars, it was because they had the crew, it had the, the skills to do effect stuff, to do big things, to do massive sets, to to um, to do things like that at a price you could afford. And then that worked so well, it brought Indiana Jones. And, you know, so it makes sense to us that the Harry Potter films or the Marvel things, that of course they could sort of film in Britain. But if you look at the how the British film industry was before Bond, you know, it's hard to see how it made that leap without Bond. Uh, and and certainly the um, the... The skill set, the skills of, of so many, especially like the stunt crew and, and, and things like that, that you could just see them pushing themselves and pushing themselves and getting more ambitious and getting more confident and getting better and sort of getting better and better. And Yeah, and, I, and at the moment, you know, the space on sound stages in Britain is just, you know, people are fighting for it. The, the British film industry is in a very sort of healthy position, as I understand it at the moment. And it is... Because they're, you know, the the children of, of the Bond industry, as far as I can see. It's interesting because that's what the Beatles were doing as well at the same time during that initial period. They were pushing themselves. They were Absolutely. learning. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then by the end of the decade, you know, unrecognisable from that band yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about putting Bond and the Beatles together is that initially it can make, um, particularly in Fleming, it can show him in a very sort of bad light because attitudes to sort of class and, um, you know, a lot of the attitudes that he did put in into the books, um, you know, don't stand up well. But as the story sort of continues, you just have the, the Beatles collapse essentially their relationships sort of crack and they sort of break whilst bond just sort of keeps going on and he keeps going on and he becomes this tradition and he becomes this industry and he becomes this um this soft power for for britain this sort of this this um image that um despite the fact that you know we're not the country we were we could still sort of hold our heads up high and sort of present ourselves uh thanks to, to to characters like regardless of how you know unlike the actual british you know intelligence services he may be or how how far away from uh, uh the reality of it is his films have become it's it's yeah it's 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 hard to imagine how britain would see itself now if it hadn't been for the arrival of the Beatles and the Bond in, in, in early 60s. They really do frame the way we sort of think about ourselves. I think what's interesting as well when you compare the Beatles to the Bond to Bond as well is that, um, you know, for, for listeners of this who aren't that familiar with the Beatles is that they were only together for a very short period of time. They were basically over yeah. by the end of the 70s, by the end of the 60s, right? Start of the 70s. Mm. Um, and when you compare that to Bond, Bond started at the same time, but by the time it got to 1969, it sort of had also reached an end of an era in the Bond films as well. Yes. And it's an era, those 60 Bond, 60s Bond films that are considered by most people, you know, to be the golden era of, mm. of the Bond films. So I think that's quite an interesting comparison. And when you think about what the Beatles could have gone on to do and how they would have evolved if they had to stay together... Um, yeah, absolutely. And and what's I always find funny is I think from uh, You Only Live Twice, um, the press, every film that came out from that point on, there would be someone writing in the press uh, along the lines of, yeah, you should stop making these now that you've done everything. It's 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 a bit old hat, guys. You know, you know, we've seen it all now. Maybe this should be the last one. And you got that in the late 60s. You got it throughout every film in the 70s, through all the 80s, through the 90s, the north, and you still get it today. And Bond just keeps going on. and It just, just sort of keeps going on um, in, in a way that's almost, as I say, you know, inexplicable. But it does, and that's what's, that's what's so exciting about it. I, think. I want to talk about um, some direct connections between Beatles and Bond because um, the ones that obviously 
jump to my mind are Paul McCartney wrote a, a Bond theme song, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and George Martin worked as the um, composer on that. Uh, but then also there's a mention of the earmuffs in uh, Goldfinger. Um, and then um, off the top of my head, I think, did the, some of the Beatles own DB5s as well? Yeah, yeah. Possibly DB6s. DB6s. A lot of the, a lot of the sources are um, a bit unsure. I think a lot of writers would like to say Austin Martin DB5. Right. When it was a DB6 just because it's the Austin Martin DB5. You want it to be. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, tell but, us about some of the other ones, if you can, John. Well, oh God, I mean, there's so many. It's um, particularly like Strawberry Fields, the uh, yeah, the, uh, the Bond girl in Quantum of, of Solace. Um, uh, that's a fascinating one, and you know, of course, Ringo married um, Barbara Bach. Of course, yeah, the spy who loved me. Um, of everyone in the story, it's just right that it's Ringo who ends up with the with the Bond girl. It's just. It's just it's just something so pleasing about that, um, but it was a sort of excuse to sort of uh, not be sidetracked particularly. But people like Christopher Lee or Peter Sellers are really fascinating people who, because they cross over them both, um, it was sort of an excuse just to sort of like to, to write about Christopher Lee's life because you know he he shot the cover for um, Band on the Run, the Paul McCartney Wings album. Um, just before he uh, shot the Scaramanga role, um, Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, wow. um, uh, literally, uh, it, it was like a month later, and, and the album came out after he'd finished sort of filming it. So he sort of crossed over beautifully. And the way that, um, you know, you, you tell his life story, and it, it's, it, he is one of the most extraordinary sort of men. Um, he was exactly what Ian Fleming wanted to be, you know, I think. I think he, he knew Ian, uh, Ian Fleming wished that he'd been a hero in the war and not, you know, a desk job sort of sending people out to, to fight. He wished he'd been sort of braver. And you, you look at uh, his, I say cousin, it's a bit more intricate and complicated than that. They're very sort of uh, incestuous, the, the lives of people in that particular society. The way he was brought downstairs as a child to meet the killers of Rasputin, you know, the way the way he saw the last public execution by guillotine in in, in France, it's just um, it's that great uh, it's it, that thing from Lord of the Rings where um, he's being directed by Peter Jackson to be he's going to be stabbed to fall off the tower and Peter Jackson's asking him to go ah and he's going oh you know you wouldn't you wouldn't go ah if you're stuck because it expels all the the air from your from your lungs you'd go like this and doing the noise and uh, and he knew. He knew because after the war, he'd been in a, in a crack team of Nazi hunters. You know, it's, it's the one thing in his autobiography that he's like, he doesn't really like to talk about. But it's just a, it's just a life of high adventure. And he's so learned and he knows so many languages. And, you know, he's so, uh, he dresses so well. And he's, he's every, you know, every good quality you, you'd expect in Bond. Um, but he's he's not the womanizer, you know. He's he's got a very strong marriage. He's uh, he's very proud of the genre sort of films he does. It's it's not like Ian Fleming was a bit embarrassed because his social circle would mock, you know, his work, uh, and he felt he should be better than that. Um, he's 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 this this wonderful figure who I thought embodied everything that Fleming wanted to be, but also. Um, a lot of things you can see in Paul McCartney and in, in the Beatles, a lot of uh, uh, positive sort of traits. And it's you start to look at people like that and it's, uh, uh, and it's a nice way of reminding people that even though you're setting up Bond and Beatles next to each other, they appear to be opposites. They appear to be love and death. They appear to be this sort of contrast. Um, as always, you know, there's there's a connection between the two it doesn't have to be that sort of binary these things can sort of can sort of meet um yeah peter sellers is, a, is another one that's just could be yeah. he went so mad did peter sellers around the, the mid to late 60s and the whole casino royale um, film. I mean, I don't know. Have you done an episode? We of did. Film? We have. Yeah. Oh God, I have to yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. The um, somewhere there's the rushes to that somewhere in a vault. 
because they yeah I, I can't remember how long they shot for it was certainly twice what they they planned to it was it was it was you know certainly best part of a year uh most of it would be unrecognizable to anyone who'd seen the film if you could get hold of those rushes i think they would tell you more about you know just how on the when we think of 1967 and the, the summer of love and that psychedelic era we think of things like sergeant pepper which which were uh you know uh brilliant statements which were really successful but a lot of things were just chaos and just uh falling apart and the wasted talent and the wasted money in something like casino royale 67 i think that fascinates me i, th- mm. I think there's a, i'd love to, to there's a documentary waiting to be made yeah oh we've said this many times yeah yeah when we recorded that episode we just couldn't believe the stories that we were researching like how is this possible it's just (laughs) yeah and and the the, obviously the film itself it's like six films in one it's it's yeah it's mad it's bonkers absolutely but the, the, the last half hour i think needs to be seen at least you know the 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 first bits where David Niven's in a Scottish castle, you could probably skip those, uh, and it, and it, and it makes you realise that although you know Fleming wanted you know a David Niven sort of character uh, to actor type to play Bond, uh, Kirby Broccoli had it absolutely right when he sort of went completely away from that. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, actually, uh, now you say that, I was going to say something earlier, actually, but, but about the casting of Sean Connery um, mm. uh, as Bond in that uh, in those early films and how important that was to the success of, of Bond in that it was a different portrayal of, of being British than what we'd been used yeah. to in the culture, right? You know, the top hat and the, bo- uh, the bowler hat and the pinstripes. And that, again, is something that's neatly paralleled with the Beatles, right? Absolutely, and and also it was it was it was Sean Connery who realised it needed some humour. That it's often credited for for coming from him, um, and that put into the, the the film franchise this this wonderful quality, which also the Beatles have of taking itself seriously but not taking itself seriously at the same time, um, which is a hard thing to sort of pull off. And I think it makes what makes Bond quite hard to mock, really, or to or to or to spoof, because it's sort of spoofing itself a little bit. It's, it's quite knowing. It winks at the audience to 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 let it let the audience know it's sort of in on the joke quite quite a bit. I think things like when um, in in Goldfinger, when the the bombs count down and it stops at 007, right, <laughs> and it, it gets a laugh from the audience, and and it's just a little nod that you know. 
you know, it's not the real world. This is we're here to entertain you. It's it's, it's the Bond universe, um, and that goes such a long way. That little sort of um, it, you see it in characters like Q. They they, they put in. I'm thinking Richard Thuellen's uh, Q particularly. Um, they just put in a character who's not impressed by Bond. You know, it's it needed it so much. You know, it needed it. You can have this great hero and stuff like that, but it's if, the, if there isn't a person who just thinks he's a bit of an idiot. Um, it just gets, it's just wrong, isn't it? It's just, it's just no good. Coffee, medium sweet, two medium sweet. Thanks for listening. We hope you're enjoying the James Bond A to Z podcast. Remember, if you want to support the show, we have a coffee page at ko-fi.com forward slash James Bond A to Z, where you can buy us a coffee for just three pounds or for three pounds a month. Thanks for listening. Back to the show. Is that all it does? Um, were there any other links between the two that you will be found quite surprising when you learned in the research of your book? Um, I think, I mean, I was quite, um, I was quite, surprised to the, by the extent that the Beatles seemed to want to be James Bond in the mid-60s. Um, there's there's a, the quote that I, I, I put at the very start, which is Paul McCartney saying that, that James Bond's got a lot to answer for. Um, and that comes from, he's he was decking out his new house in St. James Wood and he wanted loads of gadgets. And he wanted to press a button and the curtains open and have James Bond things like that. Uh, and, they, and he had them installed and they were just terrible. You know, they just didn't really work very well. It was just like a really crappy little whiny little motor on, on the curtains. It was not the sort of, um, you know, Ken Adam designed sort of super lair where you press a button and the table turns around and all these things that he, he wanted in, in, in his head. Um, and, then, and then he went had a bit of time off. He had the disguise made and he, he drove around France in an Austin Martin uh, in Aston Martin in um, in disguise, which has surely got to be one of the most Bondian ways to sort of spend your spend your holidays, and uh, and that sort of gave him the idea for an abandoned disguise, which became Sergeant Pepper and 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 things like that. But that, the way that they then made help after a Hard Day's Night, um, which is a, a spoof Bond film to the to the level of you know the chases in the Alps to the you know filming in you know. Uh, Bahamas for for tax rather than plot reasons, you know all all these sort of things. Um, it's 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 so funny to see how the Beatles at that period who were on top of the world, who were just uh, you know the most famous entertainers, they achieved everything they wanted to do. They were just every time they went in the studio, they were just making these extraordinary huge strides. They were so tight together. They were the best gang you could possibly imagine. It's harder to imagine anything better than being one of the Beatles in 1965. Uh, That's got to be the ultimate, you think. But everybody needs a fantasy. You know, everybody needs that dream of who they could be and what they have. The only thing they really had that was better than being the Beatle was to be James Bond. You know, so they, of course, that's what they did for the film. They they, they made themselves into a, a comedy Bond film. And there's, um, am I right in thinking that they had, Harry had a chance to make the Beatles movies as Harry Saltz? Yes, he did. And he turned Yeah, and they, they oh, sorry, I'm talking over you, but they, they, they um, dismissed them. Uh, as four schnooks that nobody had heard of, <laughs> something to that. They could make a Bob Hope movie instead. That's, so that's the quote. That was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And Charles... all long-haired schnooks. That's what it was. That's it. Um, and their their publicist was it Charles Giroux, the um, Fleming, uh, the Eons publicist worked on those films, I think, and sort of, yeah, um, yeah. There's a great picture as well. I wanted to ask you about John of George wearing a 007 t-shirt yes it's fantastic isn't it do you know the story behind that um i i mean it was at friar park right um judging by the the walls and 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 stuff he just he had an 007 t-shirt so you know some photos were were (laughs) taken by by his pool and, and by his cars and things like that um and you know it's it's very fitting because 
on many ways, he was the most sort of Bond-like of the four Beatles in terms of the, the womanizing, the love of the fast car, you know. Those sort of aspects of him uh, are a, a very integral part of George Harrison, except they sit next to this, you know, deep love of Eastern spirituality, which mm. seems a really weird sort of contrast, um, which, which is one of those things that makes George Harrison such a sort of fascinating figure, that sort of contrast between the, 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 um, the desire to have the trappings of James Bond and the desire to be a monk by himself on a, on a mountain. It's, it's an odd, odd sort of shape or uh, an odd shape of personality. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. Um, yeah, and it's I, I love the fact that when he was dying, uh, and he had throat cancer, amongst other cancers, and he couldn't really speak, he had a Dr. Evil doll that talked, which he was using to sort of communicate to, to, to people. And... Um, uh, this sort of, you know, this sort of spoof Blofeld becoming the voice of the most spiritual sort of Beatle in his last moments is one of those lovely touches that you just couldn't make up. And, and the fact that Ian Fleming's wife started calling him Thunder Beetle because, um, as far as she could see, he was as successful and famous uh, as the four Beatles, uh, and she was quite right in this. No one else seemed to have their the ability to sort of appeal to such a huge sort of global worldwide success as the Beatles or, you know, Fleming at the time. So the fact that he was called Thunder Beetle there was quite, um, quite a nice sort of touch. Yeah. I mean, the crossovers were so many, but I think it's because the footprint of both was so large. Mm. The footprint of the films, the footprint, of course they're going to sort of, uh, um, crossover. You, 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 you read the, um, Oh, about the collapse of the marriages of George Harrison and and uh, uh, and Ringo Starr and you know Roger Moore. They've always just gone to Roger Moore's house and <laughs> things like this. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, Roger Moore just seemed to be a big mate of them all. It's it's really quite sweet. Yeah, interesting. Um, you mentioned George as well because that just occurred to me. You know, he's the one that went on into filmmaking himself, didn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and worked with uh, John Cleese, of course, on um, who then went on to be in a Bond film himself, right? Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, he's yeah, it's fascinating that that change in him. It was it was really good. There's a wonderful clip. You can you can find it on YouTube. Um, it was around the '90s when they were doing the anthology. Where because George uh, Harrison had, I want to say, a, a, I can't remember a, the price of this McLaren. He had a McLaren supercar, uh, the cost of which was just like, unbelievable. Um, and um, there's a shot of them driving up the three remaining Beatles to to his sort of studio. And they sort of the doors open. They sort of climb out and. Um, George just has that swagger of that. I've just driven up in a McLaren supercar and McCartney sort of comes out and he's sort of, he's just sort of going, Oh, nice motor in a way that you can tell he doesn't care in the slightest about the car. <laughs> so insincere. He's just trying to sort of be pally to George and to sort of get George on, 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 on track as it, as it were. Uh, and it just sort of sums up the sort of the clash between their relationship perfectly. Just this, just whether this this particular car. Which which Beatles songs do you think would work well as a Bond theme? Ooh, which Beatles song would work well as a Bond theme? Mm. I mean, uh, it would depend very much on the on the film, but on the sort of more um, Daniel Craig type things, I, I wonder whether a Helter Skelter would work. Something as as sort of rock as that. And whether it's quite got the the um, the John Barryness that you sort of want from your Bond theme, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. 
it's a, yeah, I don't it's, know. A, it's a tough question, isn't it? It's a very tough question. I can't imagine John Lennon doing a Bond thing. No, no, that's true. That, it's just, I mean, you couldn't really imagine Paul McCartney either. I mean, Paul <laughs> McCartney's Bond theme is interesting because it's um, so un-McCartney-like in its lyrics and mm. its attitudes. You know, McCartney's all about you know home and love and family and uh, live and let die. Is uh, I, I used to try that, but I don't anymore. You know, it's 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 it's, it's this uh, bitterness to it. Um, but that's McCartney. You know, he's a craftsman. You hire him to write you a Bond tune. You're going to get the best Bond film you could, you could possibly imagine. I I, I had a look through the catalogue, Brendan, and I was I picked out some titles. I thought some good titles that Beatles titles that would make good Bond movie titles. Uh, I thought Hard Day's Night. There's a sort of a Fleming esque touch to that. I thought. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, back in the USSR, obviously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought Happiness is a Warm Gun as well. Would be a great yeah, title for that, a Bond that... film. That was going to be the title of my book. That was that was the title I used when I was, you know, trying, when I sold it to the publisher and things like that. And I thought, oh, that's a cool title. Yeah, that's a good title. Uh, and then just the notion appeared in my head one day. It should really be called Love and Let Die. And I thought, oh no, I can't do that. That's too obvious. That's it's a pun. Oh my god, that's, <laughs> that's I can't, I can't, I can't. I'd be ashamed to sort of do that. But I just sort of knew that that was the. The title it sort of wanted to be as it were and i, I sort of said to, to my publisher oh, yeah i do wonder if we should call it love and let die she's like yes we need to call it love and let die because you sort of if you call it happiness as a warm gun it sounds good but then you have to explain what it is yeah, but sort of yeah. love and let die people just sort of got it immediately um so yeah uh, run for your life is possibly yes bondy. that's a good one yeah yeah um, I had obviously got Tomorrow Never Knows because we had Tomorrow yes. Never Dies. That's an obvious one. Um, Again, that, that's one of my favourite sort of links is the, the first first title of a Bond film not to come from Fleming comes from Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, it's been fascinating to speak to you, um, John. Um, I just wondered, uh, just to sort of tie things up, obviously the Beatles continue, despite them not making any music, they continue to stay relevant somehow, right? Yeah. And finding mm-hmm. new audiences. So I wonder whether, like, how, how do they both, are there lessons that Bond can learn from how the Beatles sort of continue to um, find new audiences in, in finding new audience for themselves? It's a fascinating question because there's definitely um, after Die Another Day, um, there's definitely a drop off in interest in Bond in the young, in teenagers in particular, in Generation Z. Um, the, there was a cinema chain did some some research on who's the best, you know, hero, and Bond won this. But if you when you broke down the figures. Um, the the younger audience were just not saying Bond. And you can sort of see, you know, if, if you look at Comic-Con or something like that, no one's sort of co- cosplaying Bond. And there's an, almost an extent that um, he's kind of everything that they're against. He's kind of like the, an enemy to define themselves against in, in the sense of being, um, you know, a, a establishment a white male establishment killer was sort of quite sort of imperial and uh, it's not something that the that that generation is particularly drawn to and you don't get the this uh, you know when we were growing up there would be bond films on at bank holidays and most people would watch bond with their dad and it was a real sort of bonding thing dads and sons and things like that that doesn't really happen anymore you know kids aren't going to be watching the tv in the living room on a you know, when they've got their own sort of screens. Um, and it, it does sort of, it's, it's easy to make the argument that um, Bond's future will just be a sort of a dwindling audience of increasingly older people and the young people won't sort of, uh, won't sort of go for it in, in the way that, you know, something like Tarzan, um, it's hard to imagine Tarzan being a success these days or, bring, or sort of bringing back Tarzan. Um, but that goes against everything that the Bond franchise has done. It's, its ability to sort of keep going and keep going and reinvent itself and become something new. 
over the years is really extraordinary. I mean, for my generation, it was GoldenEye, and it was the N64 game GoldenEye that made it sort of relevant. Um, it'd be fascinating to see how it, it how it when it comes back, or whether it does something on um, when there's a series on Amazon. I know they're saying they won't do TV series, but you know, there's certainly a lot of because um, uh, if they if they were to come back and go well, what would that audience want from a Bond uh, actor, they would be looking at someone like Harry Styles. But you can imagine the internet just breaking <laughs> if they cast Harry Styles. You can imagine how people would react to that sort of thing. It's going to be a hard balancing act to sort of keep what people love about the character and and, uh, uh, and keep existing fans on board whilst trying to sort of bring it younger and appeal to the people that they will need, you know, in, in years going forward. Um, and I do think they should have announced something by now. You know, they, they, they finished the last film in 2019. You know, John Glenn would have knocked out a couple by now, you know, <laughs> could be Broccoli. They'd have gone living and dying, got Dalton in, and here's this Dalton, and, you know, here's the living daylights, and, you know... It wouldn't have broken a sweat, but this this sort of pause here is 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 odd. I think you would have thought they would have had something to announce for the sixtieth. You know, it's it's strange they didn't. And there's a lot of sort of it seems like there's sort of open goals. It's like I know they do need um, a young thirty year old actor. Act, it will be a millennial, the first millennial Bond. That's going to be an odd thing for a lot of people. Um, they do sort of need that, but they could have just done a one-off with Idris Elba, you know, just to go, well, we'll have this young guy coming up, but we'll just, it's just one with Idris Elba, just for the fun of it, because you'd go and see that, wouldn't you? Maybe Absolutely, you yeah. That. yeah. It would have worked great. Or even the, you know, Lashana Lynch um, and the, the MI6 gang, you know, Tanner and, you know, New Money Penny and all of that lent itself to a, an Amazon Prime series. Just that sort of that sort of gang before you you re- then return to to Bond. There's a lot of um, there's a there's a lot of ways you yeah you I'm surprised they didn't go when they're doing you know the 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 race around the world 007 sort of thing and things like that which seem odd choices to me. It's 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 a little bit weird. Yeah, but yeah. So the the notion that the next Bond will be a millennial will change the character an awful lot. You know, they've, they've grown up with, you know, Tinder and dating apps and hookup apps and stuff like that. And this whole notion of Bond being a bit of a slut is is very different for that generation to, you know, how it was in, in, the, in, the, in the 20th century. It is going to be a, a leap, I think, the new Bond. Um, it will be, it, not everyone's going to be happy with it, I'm sure. But... That where they go, to keep everyone happy. Yeah. How traditional they keep it, or how much they push it into the twenty first century. Yeah, will will be a uh, will be fascinating. But if you just get the the charisma of the actor, if you just get that level of confidence, if you get the music right, you know, you just win people over. Like the opening of Goldeneye. Yeah, I love the opening of Goldeneye because by the time the title start, you were so on board. After that, after that leap from the dam and everything, it was it was it's one of my favourites. Goldeneye, I do love Goldeneye. Oh, you're um, in good company, John. I, oh, am I? Oh, good. Yeah. I I thought the Piers Brosnan wasn't sort of uh, admired as much in my head. The Piers Brosnans uh, take place after Quantum of Solace and before Skyfall. <laughs> it, it's a sort of a Judy Dench timeline. Um, yeah. And it makes it makes so much more sense like that because obviously he's start, he's starting out in Casino Royale and, and uh, a Quantum and yeah, um, uh, but Skyfall he's this old battered guy you know he's he's old and past it he's, he goes from starting out to old and past it it needs those films especially you know uh, Goldeneye where you see him at the start and he's got the Aust- uh, the Aston Martin that he that perhaps he won in Casino Royale and yeah you're introduced to Q and those other characters and. Um, uh, it all sort of works perfectly if you if you slot those films into um, the the Daniel Craig timeline uh, because especially with the you know the, the the years of being a prisoner in in North Korea uh, at the start of Die Another Day if you factor all that in then Skyfall makes a lot more sense <laughs> uh, and with all the different cues and things like that it works perfectly with the exception 
with the exception that you have to accept that the, the name Money Penny is a lot more uh, common in that universe than in this one. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only thing where it really sort of uh, doesn't really work. Yeah, bringing it back to the Beatles again, uh, Brendan and I would say we'd love Peter Jackson to have a go at making a Bond film. He'd be a, a meticulous filmmaker, we think, mm. for Bond. It would be, it would, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be long. I mean, I, I know <laughs> the when, last um, one was long. The time, the the time to die was uh, announced. My wife was like, "That's a long one," <laughs> uh, but it didn't feel long though. No, no. no time to die. It's you know, a film's only long if it feels long. You know, no time to die. Just you know, I was. Uh, it didn't drop at all. I thought I, I really. I mean, I'm in, I'm in two minds about you know the whole thing about just. Um, obviously, it's the ending, but the, the whole thing about setting up the bringing back of Spectre and setting up the the return of Blofeld, mm. and once you've got them, just chucking them away like that—that that was just an odd choice to me. It was that was that felt a bit of a weird shame. I did love the um, the, the, the the phrase Blofeld's bionic eye yeah. said in the in the straight voice. Yes, we've got Blofeld's bionic <laughs> eye. Things like that, I loved. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, oh, John, thank you so much for coming on to speak about your book, uh, Love and Let Die, Bond, the Beatles and the British Psyche. That's out now. Um, uh, if people want to find you online, uh, is Twitter the best place to, to find you? Yeah, I mean, my name's John Higgs, H-I-G-G-S. So I'm, I'm easily found. I've got, you know, a newsletter, a website and all, all the usual, you know, shenanigans. So just, and just search and I'm there. You'll, we'll find you on there, yeah. And Brendan, if people want to find us on social media, where can they get hold of us? At James Bond A to Z on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, if you want to email the show, it's podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. Um, but yeah, just wanted to say thanks again, John. Uh, really appreciate it. The book's fascinating. Um, and uh, yeah, um, hopefully we'll speak to you again sometime in the future. Lovely. Thanks, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So the uh, James Bond A to Z podcast will return next week. Ciao. The James Bond A to Z podcast is hosted and produced by Tom Butler and Brendan Duffy. With music by Tom Ingemels and artwork by Helen Dolly. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Oh, it's lost its chill. Why, you... Uh, there's another in the fridge. Who needs it? My dear girl, there are some things that just aren't done, such as drinking Dom Perignon 53 above a temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. That's as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.